It's a shortened show after a shortened holiday week. It's also our last show of the year. Can you believe it? To celebrate, we're taking a look at my most recent tech purchase in our final review slash not review of the year. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week we have a shortened news segment on account of the fact that I only worked for three days. Funny how that works out, isn't it? Anyway, we're also taking a look at my most recent tech purchase, which is the MSI GL75 Leopard Gaming Laptop. As I'll explain later, this is not really a review per se, and for those keeping score, that's three consecutive non-reviews of devices this month. Funny how all of us tech people phone it in in December, isn't it? Also, I'm going to be giving you a kind of an inside look at the state of the podcast in 2020, and we'll get to all of that. But first, it's time for the abbreviated news of the week. First, a quick announcement. Keep an eye on the old Twitter feed. On Wednesday, we're recording the Doubting Thomas monthly recap and inviting a few friends along for the ride. It's going to be on YouTube on Wednesday, December 30th at 7 p.m. Central Time for my birthday because happy birthday to me. I don't know how long it'll last, but I'm guessing around an hour. Maybe two, maybe all night, depends on how much scotch there is. Whatever, it'll be fun, so by all means, stop on by and say hi. It'll be a public broadcast, so everyone's invited. A number of reviews dropped for the ZTE Axon 25G, and I've linked to Michael Fisher's video for it because he's awesome and he's a friend of the show. The ZTE Axon 25G is a phone with the world's first underscreen selfie camera available for the mass market, and once again, that's a lot of caveats. And Michael's giving it a look, no pun intended. Okay, pun kind of intended. The significance here is that the underscreen selfie camera means no notch, no pop-up camera, just one big edge-to-edge, top-to-bottom display, uninterrupted, and not prone to sand or whatever else can screw up mechanical cameras. So, this is amazing, right? Well, it's a first effort, which is to say it's mostly just okay, kinda sorta bordering on bad. But it is neat from a technological standpoint. Are we there yet? No, just like 5G, this tech is going to need a few years to bake before it's fully done. But it is fun, and that's what's important. So don't go buy the ZTE Axon 25G, but know that it exists, and it's going to usher in a new era of underscreen selfie cameras that hopefully won't suck in the not-too-distant future. This week also saw the confluence of Jupiter and Saturn in the sky. If you've been following the two planets, both have been visible in what for me is the southwest sky. At the beginning of the week, the two were as close as they were going to get to each other, separated by less than a degree. Of course, I couldn't see them because I live in Chicago and it's December and cloudy skies blocked everything. Which kind of sucked, but there are a number of sites out there that posted really spectacular photos of the two planets in kind of alignment. So you should go check those out. Not to mention, it's not like they were really aligned. They were offset from each other by a little bit. So yes, they were very close in a cosmic sense, but it's not like it was an eclipse or anything. All the same, it was kind of neat. So go check out the photos and let's move on to the next story. 
The season finale of Mandalorian aired this past week, and if you missed the teaser at the end, Disney went ahead and announced The Book of Boba Fett, which is a sort of spin-off from the popular Star Wars series with the popular Star Wars character, coming in December of 2021. John Favreau later clarified that Boba Fett and Mandalorian were completely separate from each other, and Boba Fett was not taking over for the series. There was some confusion there, and honestly, a little disappointment too. Bottom line, Boba is getting his own show, but whether or not it'll be a whole new series or just a mini-series or whatever remains to be seen. There will still be more from The Mandalorian after Boba Fett is completed, though, and this is a spoiler alert. If you haven't watched the finale of Mandalorian yet, you've got ten seconds before I say the next part. Okay? Go. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, five Mississippi... Six Mississippi. Okay, let's face it. If you haven't skipped forward by now, you're not going to. So, The Mandalorian will continue without Baby Yoda, a.k.a. the child, a.k.a. Grogu in tow. And honestly, I'm not sure how interested I am in watching The Mandalorian anymore. I mean, come on, Jon Favreau. You don't buy a Ferrari, rip off the hood ornament, and then try to sell it. You've kind of ruined the car at that point. But, whatever. Good luck with that, Star Wars. Motorola announced 21 phones this week that are getting the Android 11 update, which is nice, I suppose. Motorola is not exactly known for its software updates, so this is a bit of a surprise. Of course, you factor in that the phones in question will probably never see Android 12, and I'm far less impressed. <clears throat> oh, I'm, so I'm sorry. I mean, nice work, Motorola. Way to upgrade your phones. Jeez, did I mention that this is a slow news week? Over on the Twitter, Elon Musk mentioned that he once approached Tim Apple about buying Tesla back when it was not doing so well. Mr. Cook declined to take the meeting, and the rest, as they say, is history. It's worth mentioning that Tesla stock has gone up by something like 700% this year alone, let alone when Tesla was within single-digit weeks of dying out. And it's easy to point at Apple here and say, Ha ha, you screwed up, but let's face it, in reality, Tesla didn't know Tesla was going to do this well. Honestly, if there are two brands that make a ton of sense combining, it's probably Apple and Tesla. Both are considered status symbols in their respective fields, aspirational devices and all that, and it makes a lot of sense for Apple and Tesla to join forces because, let's face it, how many Android owners own a Tesla? I'm guessing it's kind of a minority. Anyway, Tesla is independent and Elon Musk is hella rich, so you really can't complain about the outcome. Last week, I talked about Cyberpunk 2077 and how it was still great, regardless of its buggy performance. Well, I probably should have let that sit for a bit, because basically the day the podcast came out, consumers actually started buying the game and complaining about it, calling it basically unplayable. There are bugs and glitches galore, but... I gotta be honest, I looked at a bunch of YouTube videos of these glitches and I didn't really see anything that was deal-breaking about the game, like a string of cars all crashing into some kind of barrier one after another, or a tank falling from the sky, or a person getting killed and winding up half inside a wall. Well, folks, I saw half of that stuff happen in Call of Duty Mobile and... It played just fine. But again, I haven't played the game yet, and to be honest, the negative press coming out of the game thus far has deterred me from buying it. 
Well, that and the approaching holidays and a ton of work I had in the last two weeks, but you know, whatevs. We'll talk a bit more about that work next week, but for now, suffice it to say, the game is pretty bad. It's so bad that both Sony and Microsoft have pulled it from their respective app stores. Like, yikes, that's really bad. Both companies are offering full refunds for the game from buyers who are upset, which is nice considering that this is digital property and they probably didn't really have to do that. And the story is not over, folks, because there's more. Because Cyberpunk released a hotfix to the game to fix a number of outstanding issues and save game problems. Most notably, at first, saved games were limited to files under 8 megabytes in size, and anything larger than that had a tendency to get corrupted. <laughs> That's not good. I honestly didn't even know they measured megabytes anymore. Good lord, Cyberpunk, what were you thinking? Although, as I say that, I realize, what do I know? That might be a common thing. I'm not a gamer. Regardless, it's being fixed, and the company that makes Cyberpunk has promised two major updates to the game in early 2021 to fix these issues, which is nice, but would have been nice if those issues weren't there in the first place. In the meantime, the company had advertised that it had sold 14 million copies of the game, and at 60 bucks a pop, that's, um, uh, let's see, uh... It's a buttload of money, which is very good for everyone involved, except, of course, those 14 million people who are actually trying to play the game. Also, we're not sure how many of those people bought the game and then subsequently returned it. Personally, I'm going to wait on Cyberpunk, not really because of these issues, but mostly because I'm not 100% sure I want to get involved with such an open-ended world and have it suck up so very much more of my precious free time. But we're still not done. And finally, we're still not done with Cyberpunk because last week the company got sued over the botched launch of the game by an investor in the company. Andrew Tramp is suing the company in Los Angeles on behalf of other investors, noting that CD Projekt failed to disclose that Cyberpunk was, quote, virtually unplayable on the current generation Xbox and PlayStation systems due to an enormous number of bugs. And yeah, that would be something worth disclosing to someone investing in your software company. Now, I'm positive that the company, whose name is CD Projekt, with Project spelled with a K, either because it's a Polish company or to make them sound more badass, or both, I can't tell. But anyway, the company probably did not consider its game unplayable because, you know, they released it. Since the game's released, and I'm quoting this too because I don't speak finance, but American depository receipts fell by 25% after the game was released on December 10th and fell another 16% after Sony pulled the game from the store. Now, I don't know what any of that means, but it sounds pretty bad. Anyway, that's three stories about Cyberpunk this week because it's Christmas week, and to say it was a slow news week, that would be an amazing understatement. But that is going to wrap up all the news for the week, the month, and the year. Right around the September area, I ran into a little bugaboo. My trusty 2015 MacBook Pro's battery started to swell, which meant trouble in paradise, kids. So it was time to start shopping for a replacement. Now, you already know the story of the thought process behind replacing the laptop. You've seen the unboxing on YouTube, so let's get to it. How is the actual computer? 
It's time to give some opinions on that. Now, like with the LG Wing and the iPhone 12 Pro, which I non-reviewed over the past couple of weeks, I'm not going to call this a hard and fast review because this is a work item and I treat work items differently than review items because when I got this thing, I had to start getting things done with it rather than play around with it. I haven't run benchmarks. I haven't installed Netflix. I haven't watched anything on Netflix. It's only been off its power cord once, and oh yes, we will talk about that. But all this means that I'm not sure I can definitively call this the MSI GL75 Leopard Review. I mean, that's the title of the podcast, but that's called SEO, kids. My opinions on this laptop will undoubtedly evolve over time, but for now, we're going to close out the year with my impressions so far, so in that sense, I can say this is our full review of the MSI GL75 Leopard. We're going to approach this review from the same perspective as we approach most phones, and that means we're going to start with the hardware. And in this particular case, the hardware is arguably the worst part about this laptop. This thing is one giant hunk of plastic. And it's not plastic that feels good. There's no soft-touch coating or anything like that. The body is plastic. The keys are plastic. The touchpad is plastic. The lid is plastic. It's all just plastic, which is not necessarily bad, but damn, it's boring and just not sexy at all. There's very little about the build of this laptop that anyone can honestly say is appealing. And that's a great way to start a review, isn't it? But it's not all that bad. The keyboard on this laptop is pretty damn good, if I say so myself. The size, pitch, and travel of the keys are very good. I especially like the font on the keyboard. It has a Star Trek vibe to it, but not a Prime Universe, more like a Star Trek Discovery or Kelvin timeline vibe. The keyboard is also RGB backlit, and this is one of those things that I haven't really had time to sit down and play with and figure out. I don't know if you can set the keyboard to be all one color. Right now it just pulses through the entire spectrum of red to purple and back again as the colors flow across the keyboard. Is there a way to change that or turn it off? I have no idea. I would imagine there probably is, and I would also imagine that some people might find it distracting. I don't. I actually don't even look at the keyboard all that much when I'm typing. I do know that my wife and daughter both think that the keyboard is awesome, so there's that. Another note about the keyboard in RGB is when you press the function key, only the keys that have functions associated with them light up. And that's a really smart thing, and I love it. It's the kind of smart implementation of technology that can really make or break a device. And in that case, well done, MSI. There's another huge bonus to this laptop in the I.O. There's an Ethernet port, four USB Type-A ports, one USB Type-C port, HDMI out, and two 3.5mm jacks, one for the mic and one for the headphones. I can't be sure, but it seems like the headphone jack is already a little on the loose side. It doesn't grab my headphones and hold them like it used to. The headphones don't fall out or anything, so it's not terrible, but I would like a little more security there. The laptop also has a full-size SD card reader, which is awesome. The trackpad and the mouse buttons on this keyboard reflect the rest of the build, which is to say that they are cheap and plastic. Just a second, here's the buttons on the trackpad. You hear that? Sounds cheap as hell, doesn't it? Personally, I don't mind the noise, nor the build, nor the feel, but in a world of carbon, aluminum, and other build materials for laptops, the plastic makes this device seem very, very cheap and low-end. And that is decidedly not the case for the monitor, which is bright and 
freaking huge. It's a 17.3 inch monitor, which I probably don't take full advantage of. I have a second monitor that I use, but honestly, with a 17.3 inch screen, I almost shouldn't need one. But I do, because Windows isn't very good at handling multiple windows, which I suppose leads us into the software. There's actually very little I can say about the software. It's Windows 10. You pretty much either love it or you hate it. I like it just fine. Windows does some smart things when it comes to multitasking, like snapping. When you want a window to take up only part of a screen, you can resize it manually, but it's a lot easier to just drag it to one side or the other or the top, and it's just going to snap there. This is really great for some quick multitasking and doing tasks side by side. What's not great is how Windows handles that. On a Mac, when you click on an open programs icon in the taskbar, the Mac brings all of those windows to the front. On Windows, it asks you which of the five windows you want to open. Oh, you want to open all five of them? Oh, great. Just click on this icon and click on one. Then click on this icon and click on two. And then click on this icon and click on three. Ugh. This is especially true when I have a window snapped to the left and another one snapped to the right and I want to check out a third window for, you know, whatever. When I bring those first two windows back, I only want to click the edge icon once. There may be a way to do that in Windows, but if there is, I haven't found it yet. MSI also comes prepackaged with your typical software packages like Norton and an MSI software package. I have no idea what they do because, again, I'm busy, I'm working. If this were a real review, I would have been compelled to dig into those things and find out, but it's not, so I didn't. They don't necessarily adversely affect my performance, so I'm good with them, and I told you, this is not going to be a real review. One software tip that has worked well for me was the migration over to Microsoft Edge. Edge, as you know, is a default browser that's baked into Windows, and these days, it's built on Chromium, so there's very little loss between Edge and Chrome. I still use all the same Google services, but Edge just runs better on a Windows laptop, what can I say? Plus, adding various services like Netflix and Slack as web apps is really convenient as well. It certainly beats the pants out of the Windows Store, and speaking of which, wow, the Windows Store is still pretty terrible. You can download some of your necessities there for sure, like Slack or Netflix, Zoom, stuff like that. But most of what you're going to be using is going to be found by going to websites and downloading installers. Web apps are another way around this. I use a web app for Twitter, for Slack, for Discord, and a number of other sites and services. Fortunately, Google still maintains its file transfer app, which is great since all of my work is done in the cloud. Moving on to performance, this laptop is simply a monster at most things. Again, no games or Fortnite or anything, not yet anyway, but the tasks I've put it through include editing and exporting audio and video, which don't even make this laptop work hard. The computer has a discrete GPU, a GTX 1660 Ti, which is sort of a mid-range GPU, but man, does this thing hustle. 10-minute YouTube videos exported in 4K in less than 10 minutes. Podcasts export in under 5 minutes. It's just a beast. In one of my freelance jobs, I have a 5,000-plus line Google Sheet filled with formulas and equations for handing out and picking out assignments. My old MacBook would freak the hell out whenever I access this page to access new assignments. Two weeks ago on the MSI computer, I had that sheet open in the background in Chrome and recorded and edited a podcast with an open... And I didn't even notice. That's how much of a beast this thing is. But, of course, sure, it's also not a five-year-old computer. That fact is not lost on me. But from a sheer power perspective, this is everything that I asked for in a computer. Now, one more important thing to consider. Since I got this computer, I have only attempted to edit one video that was shot entirely in 4K. 
And that did not go well. Adobe Premiere wasn't able to play the video until I reduced its scale to 50%, essentially making it a 1080p video. Granted, it was only one video, and I've used 4K footage in videos before, but they were mixed in with 1080p footage, so once again, I had to reduce the scale of the video. I'm not overly concerned because, honestly, I plan to shoot most of my video footage in 1080p, at least until the YouTube channel picks up more steam, and when that happens, I'll probably have the budget to go buy a more powerful machine. Plus, it's entirely possible that I didn't shoot my footage correctly, or there was some setting that really bogged things down. It's really too early to call that this computer won't handle 4K footage. I can only tell you that the one time I tried it, it didn't go well, so take that for what you will. Now on the one hand, the RTX 1660 GPU in this machine is more of a mid-range GPU, so I could see how things might get a little stuttery. But on the other hand, it's a dedicated GPU designed for gaming, so I can't imagine that a little 4K footage threw it for that much of a loop. Time will indeed tell. As for battery life, well, it's pretty terrible. The one time I unplugged this computer, I took it over to a friend's house, and the battery meter estimated two hours left at 90% power. Yikes. Now, I didn't test that fully. I'm back at the office now, and the computer is plugged in. I'll test that for real someday, probably when I'm traveling for work sometime. But for now, let's just assume that the battery is not going to last and call it a day. That being said, the laptop does have a neat trick which allows you to specify the range that you want the battery to stay in. I have it set to 50 to 60%. The idea is that it'll conserve the battery long term, what little battery there is. That's a smart idea, and I wish more laptops did that. So at this point, I should point out that the power brick on this laptop is goddamn humongous and adds basically another pound to the already five and a half pounds of this computer. It's insane how huge this thing is. It's almost bigger than my head. Just woof. And of course, the battery ensures that you can never not have this plug with you. It's really a bummer all around. That being said, the primary home for this computer will be at my desk plugged in, so it's probably okay. As for other negatives, there's no touchscreen, the laptop doesn't flip around to become a two-in-one, there's no fingerprint sensor, and even the webcam built-in is not good enough for Windows Hello. All that, not awesome, but I am working on fixing most of those. Turns out you can buy a USB fingerprint sensor and I can upgrade the webcam to be better. One of those two will stop me from having to put in my pin every time I turn on the computer, which will be nice. As for the touchscreen and the two-in-one, I knew about those going in, so I can't really ding them, except literally every laptop should have a touchscreen always forever. I'd also love to see the USB Type-C port on this computer handle incoming power. I know with the GPU that probably wasn't going to be likely, if at all possible. That being said, if I could have avoided carrying around that monster brick on a string and instead toss a 65 watt power delivery charger in my bag, that would have been so very, very nice. So where does that leave us? Well, it might sound like I spent a lot of this review on negatives, but overall, I'm very, very happy with this computer. The cheap look and feel is not something that bothers me. Yes, this thing sounds like a toy when you're typing on it, but the keyboard actually feels and works great, so there's no complaints there. Also, as I said, this laptop's home will be on my desk, so I'm not worried about weight, battery, or charger. That will certainly not be the case for everyone. In fact, most people would probably spend a lot less and just get a desktop computer. Arguably, laptops should be portable. A laptop shouldn't really have a permanent home. That's the whole point of being a laptop, and I agree with that. In that sense, this is probably not the best laptop. I would imagine a gamer who wants to go on the road with this laptop will probably go to a friend's house and set the laptop down, 
plug it in right away, and in that sense, its portability is very limited. But the sheer horsepower that this laptop packs for as little that it costs, it's hard to beat that hands down. I saw a lot of other laptops that can perform similar feats and weighed less, but they were also 50% more expensive. Maybe Apple's new M1 laptops would have been a good way to go, and that's possible. But overall, this computer gives me a much better sense of security, and I can do anything I want with it, and it'll still come back smiling. For a primary computer for a creator, that's a powerful feeling. As for the look and feel, will I feel anxiety to flip this bad boy out on a trade show floor and start banging away at plastic keys amidst a sea of Dells and MacBooks? I mean, a normal person would, but me? The way I see it? I already kind of stand out from the crowd, so this computer, she's my spirit animal. So you can bet I will pull this out on the trade show floor, and then I will look each and everyone there in the eye and dare them to say something. So yes, I absolutely do recommend this computer. I'm very happy with it, flaws and all, because the flaws that it has don't really bother me. Maybe in a year or so when life starts to get back to normal, this will bother me, but for now, this is a great machine for a great price, and that's all you could really ask for. I'm about to wrap things up for this episode here, but before I roll up my tent and head out to 2021, I wanted to kind of give you all a shout out and give you a sort of state of the podcast since we're here. I've spent most of the year doing the state of various parts of the tech industry in 2020, so it's time that we talk about the state of this podcast in 2020. First of all, this podcast has been amazing. It's been my creation from the start with an admittedly big kick in the rear from co-producer Cliff to get things off the ground. It's been really great chatting with you every week since the beginning of March, and I'm looking forward to the next 12 months until the end of 2021, hopefully when we all have a vaccine and we can go out again. So let's talk some raw numbers. I have 10 wonderful patrons who contribute to my show every month, and these people are all pretty awesome. I have regular conversations with all of them, and they're really fun. And if you want to get an inside look at how things are going with the show, hit up Patreon at patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. All told, I'm guessing I have about 200 really dedicated listen-every-week kinds of listeners and several dozen more who listen in when they can and a few dozen more that, you know, check in every now and then. And that's great. I love it. And if you're listening to this, thank you. Legitimately thank you. It has been a real treat. But those numbers from a demographic standpoint are kind of low for a podcast, so I hope you will all do me a favor and make a New Year's resolution to get one other person to become a regular listener of this show. You're a techie, a nerd, or a geek, and you know other techies, nerds, or geeks that you hang out with, so send them on over and I'd be most appreciative. Will that eventually mean more ads down the line? Yeah, probably, but it'll also mean more podcasts. This podcast doesn't pay for itself. Not even close. But I expected that at the start. Nine months later, we're not at the start anymore, so while I'm not going anywhere anytime soon, it's a conversation I'm going to have to start having with myself at some point, and I'd rather just avoid that conversation overall. So, does that sound okay? Good. We've got merch, and most importantly, our Amazon store. These are both quick and easy ways that you can help out the show. You can order a t-shirt. That'll help you with your conversation with your friend that you're going to get to listen to the show. See what I did there? New graphics are coming soon on mugs and t-shirts and mouse pads, so give that a look at benefitofadow.com support. 
Also, speaking of benefitofadoubt.com slash support, you can also hit up Amazon and order what you would normally order. But if you go to benefitofadoubt.com slash support first and click on Amazon from there, I'll get a little piece of whatever you buy and it won't cost you anything extra. Looking forward, we have a YouTube channel now. I hope you're tuning into that. What's going up on YouTube, you might ask? Well, we've got unboxings and first impressions of devices that are coming my way. We've also got a few featured stories here and there, and I'll be honest, they take a lot of time to plan and shoot and edit, so there will be more of those, but honestly, probably not a whole lot more. We've even got a speed build up there of Baby Yoda, a.k.a. Grogu, a.k.a. The Child, a.k.a. the main reason people subscribe to Disney Plus these days, and whoops, he's not on the show anymore. We've got a new series coming out called Beyond a Doubt, where I get together with some of my friends in the tech space and talk about just what's going on in the tech industry and what's going on in their lives. You should start to see those coming soon. I had hoped for a launch in the middle of January, but I kind of forgot about CES, so whoops. Anyway, keep your eyes out for it. That's coming soon to a podcast feed near you. So that's what's going on, and I want to emphasize this once more. This show isn't going anywhere, at least for the next year. I've committed to that. And so if you're worried I'm going to fall off the face of the earth, I'm not. I'm honestly getting a little low on material, like reviews and interviews, so that's a little concerning, but that's my problem. But at the same time, I'm guessing that CES will probably make up for a lot of that. And at the very least, you're going to get the news every week. That's not going anywhere. But if you have any suggestions for things you'd like to hear, hit me up on benefitofadowd.com contact, or just DM me on the Twitters, because I'm always there, and I'm always listening. So that's going to do it for this podcast, this episode, and this year. 2020 can pretty much go screw itself, and I'm happy to report that we all survived it, at least through December 27th, but there's still a few more days left. (laughs) I'd like to thank MSI for not sending me a review unit of the laptop I'm recording this on, and I'd like to thank co-producer Cliff for all of his hard work behind the scenes. But most importantly, and as always, one last time in 2020, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.